When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back for another week of the OC Office Hour, and in what we called week zero of this series, we had Jeff Mullen joining us to talk about the transition from camp into the season, and we covered a number of details there. I'll put a link to that one in the show notes, but Coach Mullen is back today, and and the focus today is on explosive play. So, Coach, I'm excited to get into this topic with you here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back, Coach. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So let's start this conversation off with a definition. And before you give yours, I love a study I've mentioned on this podcast before, a study of Mike Ayers, who was an analyst for the Green Bay Packers. And his study of explosive plays found that an explosive in any one series, one explosive play increased the odds that a drive would end in a score that single explosive, which he defined as a 12-yard run or 16-yard pass, increased the chances of a score by 40%. If you had two in a drive, it doubled those odds to 80%. So we know that this is a very important part of an offense. If you can't generate explosive plays, you can't move the ball down the field. So let's start with that, Coach. A lot of coaches have those goal boards up. They all define things a little bit differently. Uh, We know how Coach Ayers defined it, but for you, how do you look at explosives when it comes to the definition? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for that information. I did not know that. The percentages go up that high if you're able to hit one of these explosives within a series. So all the more important, right? For me, Coach, I was all about first down. You know, everyone has goal boards. And on our goal board, the number one thing that I wanted to get done every week was first downs. If we hit 27 first downs in a college football game, not only were we going to win, we were going to hit everything else underneath our goal board, or on our goal board, I should say, uh, including explosives. And so the way I defined explosives for me was just by first down. So any run that was 10-plus, and then any pass that was 20-plus. Okay, I wanted you know a little bit lower than Coach Ayers on the runs, just wanted to move the chains. And then in the throw game, if we were able to get, you know, in air quotes, you know, two first downs, certainly we wouldn't count it that way on the goal board. But those were our definitions. So a run that was plus 10 and then a throw that was plus 20. And then what we wanted to do was hit 10 or more of those in a game in, you know, whatever it was. You you know what I mean? You're going to get 14, 15 series in a game. You know, that would kind of lend credits to Coach Ayers' thought process. If you can hit one a series, uh, then you're doing, doing really well. So, that that was that was how we defined it, and again, I tied mine to first downs because I felt like that was the most important stat on the board. I, I can't I can't tell you in strong enough terms on second and one, just get the first down. I, I know that's an easy shot down and, and a moment where you want to grab an explosive, 
but honestly, coach, I, I would get the first down and then take the shot on first. Yeah. Well, I, I know, and we'll go into a lot of the strategy behind this, but it, it definitely is something that's going to change what's happening in a game when you hit one of those plays. And, and before we got to talking, I mentioned to you that I was at a, a Division three JV game yesterday, Mountain Union and Baldwin-Wallace, and that game going into the last two minutes was 0-0. Zero, zero. Uh, it was like a, a pitcher's doing a, in a, you know, in a baseball game. 0-0, zero, zero, I, I, I said, you know, geez, I don't know if I've ever seen any game at any level end in 0-0, zero, zero, and we were under two minutes away from that happening, and then Mount Union hit an explosive play for a touchdown, right? So up to that right. point, though, there may have been only two or three explosive plays in that game which is why there weren't any points on the board right so it definitely is going to affect what happens in the game and as you said being able to move the chains is an important part of that right more time your offense has the ball the more opportunity you have to score and and probably just as important the less opportunity they have as you're moving the ball down the field yeah no doubt and again just you know going back to those first downs you you're going to win time of possession. You're going to win. You're going to hit the number of plays in the game that you need to, you know, to hold the ball. And and within that, you know, you're going to definitely create explosives. And and so I, I agree with all that, Coach. So in looking at it, obviously, there's two ways to generate these. You could generate them with the run game and generate them with the pass game. So let's take a look at each of those starting with the run game and your perspective on that, Coach, and how you start to look at putting these together. Well, this isn't going to be, you know, anything that, that um, is going to blow your mind. But I do think, you know, having called games at the Division One level for 10 years, you really have to plan for these. You have to, to have to make sure that they are on your call sheet and you are calling them. But uh, in the run game, Coach, first thing is simple. It's just tempo. You know, have a way to call your best runs as fast as you can. Okay, defenders are out of gaps. You've got the fit players looking to the sideline for the coverage call. And next thing you know, the ball's being snapped and, and you know, the extra hat's not, not fit in the box right. And uh, I can't tell you how many times in my career where, you know, just caught, uh, unexpectedly a run that should go for six, seven yards pops for 25 or 30 and sometimes even a, a home run. So, Create ways in your offense that your best runs, your best formations, your best players, with one word, you can just get that thing off and, and, and hammer that home and do it with multiple runs if you can. Tempo is a big one. The second thing in the run game that, that is crucial are what we call numbers runs, and I think everybody knows what that is. Anytime your quarterback is a ball carrier, you're going to get uh, back to even in the core, uh, giving yourself – you know, a chance to, to block them all. And, that, and that's really the key. The best one we had was simply getting into 11 personnel in a two-by-one set, attacking the boundary if it was a half-field safety into the boundary, and just running pin and pull, getting the quarterback on the edge with the tailback as a lead blocker on that high safety, or getting in three-by-one, 11 personnel, and then back to the field, getting the tailback, you know, on that nickel spur, stalk, stalk in your slot and your X. And then again, pin and pulling, getting a big guy in front as well for the quarterback sweep. Those were, we would run that not enough every game, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I did think that, uh, you know, it was important as a, as a college guy to 
really try and find a dual threat kid for those simple reasons to get to those number runs. Clearly speed option, read option, all those types of things, get those big runs and, and the ability to block them all in your numbers runs. And then finally, coach, sweeps and reverses. I think, you know, a lot of times people get the orbit sweep confused with a reverse. Picture iPro, certainly in the gun pistol. You got a sniffer behind the right tackle. You got the slot going right to left in an orbit, and you're running cut zone, right? The, you're, you're running the orbit to try and get the boundary fit player out of there so you can spit the zone. So mm-hmm. the orbit motion in and of itself can create a, a, a big run, but then also handing off that sweep and protecting the edge. I, I never feared running the orbit sweep because we always had the H back eyeballing that unblocked defensive end. If he were to some reason shoot up the field and chase the sweeper when we should have been calling the inside zone, he would simply hang. If he would wrong arm the H back when you're calling that answer play for the sweep, then you get the extra hat and he can, you know, block the alley player and block them all. So, you know, I think sweeps, reverses, in every sense, trying to at least get eyes and a hat on the reverse player before he climbs. Those should not be calls. They're, they're simply counters at this point. You should not fear losing yardage in, the, in that moment because oftentimes we stay away from that from a risk-reward standpoint. Don't call the, the, the reverse because we might lose 20 yards or 10 yards. Uh, on the other hand, you're giving up the opportunity to gain 20 yards. So Right. Love the love the sweep and reverse as well in the run game. A couple of things to touch on there, going with the numbers runs and ways to do that and some just some different perspectives on doing that too. And and I could go back to it was, you know, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. We had a quarterback who he actually was our fastest quarterback. You know, he was like a, a four or five something, right? High four or fives. The guy behind him was a good runner, too, not quite as fast. But that first guy was the guy we wanted to distribute the football. And we didn't necessarily want him running a ton. And, you know, we would look at it this way. There's going to be those games that we didn't have to call those. But there were going to be games. For example, you know, we're playing Mountain Union. It was always that one. That we tell him, like, look, we're going to need to get five to six of these runs called with you keeping the ball, a call run for you, and being able to pick up some yards. And and those worked very well then, one, because you know we hadn't done it a ton with him, so it was a little bit of a tendency breaker. But then what we would do is, uh, he was still a quarterback. It was really a wildcat package because the guy could really run. But he was our, our second guy, and we would create run packages for him. And a lot of times it, we would add in, some of the the sweep action with that, right, with a with a receiver coming in motion, et cetera, uh, which really helps protect the play. So I, I think you look at those things, and you know, especially as we're heading into this time of the year, uh, teams finish up a lot of times with a rivalry week, or uh, there's playoffs or championships on the line, and you have to find those runs where now you get that extra hat, as you said, maybe it's eleven personnel right, which a lot of teams are doing now, and, and you get that extra hat in there to block, and now you have the ability to, like you said, have numbers, have a hat on a hat with with uh, nobody for the running back there. So 
I think it creates a lot of, of opportunities for you. And it's something really, you know, while you may not want to make a living on it, I mean, we're down to crunch time, right? It's like a all hands on deck type of situation. If, if you don't win, you're not moving on. So you, you have to fire all the bullets in the gun. And I think this is one you want to include. And the best part is it doesn't have to be a new scheme. It's just adding that extra blocker into the, the schemes that you have. Yeah, Coach. Every uh, So I coached quarterback for the majority of my career. And, and clearly, you know, I was really smart when we had a good quarterback and not so smart when he was, you know, the quarterback we had wasn't playing well. So losing your starter is – I'm very sensitive to that. But if you just frame it back to our original conversation, you're only going to get, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14 drives in a game. And you only need to hit one per drive. So you're only going to call this particular type of explosive run two, three, maybe four times a game. The other thing I would, you know, push back on or agree with on, uh, however you look at it, to those listening, you you don't need a fast guy to do this. If you're blocking everybody, right? right? If you've got the six on six in the core with 11 personnel blocked, if you've got your running back on the nickel spur and your two receivers on their two DBs to the field, yes, it's nice to have a four or five guy, but even a four, eight guy is going to get 10 because remember the definition of the explosive play. It's a run of 10 for us. And, you know, again, coach Ayers had 12, I think, you, you know, anywhere in there is a, an explosive play. So you, you don't need a fast guy. And then finally, because I was so sensitive, not getting the quarterback hurt, there were two things. He wasn't a run read guy. So I didn't like running outside zone to get him to the perimeter because he had to read blocks and then, you know, bang it or bend it. So we only ran the quarterback on pin and pull schemes where we were going to set an edge and get him in the grass and away from those big three techniques and, and shades and, you know, 240 pound Mike Bathers that could eat his face mask. Um, you don't have to run the quarterback in the A gap and the B gap to create an explosive play. And I would argue that quarterback power read in the A gap and, you know, where you're seeing a lot of the quarterback running the, the counter and the power and the inside zone off the, off the, you know, the bash stuff, those really don't create explosive plays. They can, you know, with the motion and get a safety out of the fit, but those are a little more risk to reward, in my opinion. Whereas getting the quarterback on the edge with everybody blocked is a lot less risk with a higher reward. And so if you just put all that together, I, I don't think you have to have a four or five guy. And I don't think you have to go to bed at night thinking you're going to get the kid hurt. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think it just has to be part of the toolbox yep. for you. And as I said, you you may not need it in a certain game, exactly. but there will, will be games that, you got to call on it. So I, I do think you prepare that. And I, I like the idea of, of the pin and pull, getting him in a place where, you know, you got numbers out there with all the blockers. And you think about it, you know, typically pin and pull, you, you got your lineman going, but now you have that running back available too to get in the mix and, and lead block out there as well. So That's right. I do like that strategy. I know we would use uh, a lot of power read in one particular year and then with that wildcat guy. But, you know, power read is, in, in my opinion, something that if you're going to run that you make a, a living on it in terms of it's it's probably something in your game plan all the time 
it's one of those things that I feel takes a lot of time on task. And that was a learning situation for us. You know, we thought the first time we ran it and called it in a game and yeah, it's going to be a good play for us. And then it gets blown up and you know, we went back to the drawing board and, and figured it out even more. Uh, but there's a lot of things like, I think the, the mistake a lot of people make is, well, we have power. So power read will be easy. And right. in a lot of ways they're, uh, they're similar plays, but yet there's a lot of differences, specifically in how the defense is going to fit things in the in the demeanor of the defense. So that that's a whole topic in and of itself. Yeah, I don't want to cut you off, but you hit on a really good point, and I want to make sure our listeners understand this. Qu- quarterbacks, like running backs, are taught run reads. And to just simply think you can throw in a power read or an inside zone read for a quarterback who has not read – you know, the front side A-gap player to bang it or bend it back off and then, you know, bounce it back behind the three, you know, those kind of things. Those guys, if you can make it easy for them, right, hey, listen, we're going to we're gonna block your read key down and just run as fast as you can to the perimeter and get a bunch of yards. You know what I mean? So we just got to be careful that when you translate a, cor- a tailback's run read to a quarterback who's working on all of his throw progressions, that we're not giving that quarterback too much because he can't see the, the, the cut. For sure. Now, the other thing to think about with that pin and pull for the quarterback, because of the way you're blocking, and right, you got guys blocking down, uh, you're really not rolling those guys up to level two. The guys who are going to get up to level two are getting around the edge first. So it does present an opportunity to either treat that like an RPO or as an RPO where that quarterback can pop the ball out there, or uh, you simply just create that play action off of it as well. You run it a few times, that guy, you know, they see the guy going to the edge and, you know, you stalk and go and and now you have another play action pass out there. So there's, there's those opportunities you can develop that off of that as well. Yeah, no doubt. One of the things I always did was anytime I was running a perimeter run, and specifically the quarterback, you know, there's certain looks you, you like. You want a clean six-on-six six box. So I would always tag behind it. Say we were running the three-by-one to the field. I would just tag the boundary X on a quick slant. Because if I got any field pressure, you know, or a- any type of, you know, triangle roll strong where, you know, that middle free is going to get involved quickly, and we can't get them all blocked, and you got the one-on-one behind it for a quick, easy throw. So I think you, whenever you're you're thinking numbers runs, right, 11 personnel is six-on-six, six, 12 personnel is seven-on-seven, seven, et cetera, if you get the seven pat in an 11 personnel look, in the face of that extra, you know, where, you're, where you think you've got numbers, you got, you know, give them an out behind it. So I, I think in numbers runs mentality – putting it out behind it is always a great way for a play caller to feel good that you're not going to get that guy, you know, running into a buzzsaw or have your offensive lineman have to block a look they haven't seen. Well, Coach, the next section then is is the sweeps. And I definitely want to talk about those. I really like sweeps and, you know, being in Northeast Ohio my entire career, you know, you hit this time of the year, 
inevitably you're going to hit some bad weather. Now, the fact of that is a lot less, right? I, I remember having to walk the field and, and get a feel for what's the what's it like between the hashes? What is it like out on the sideline? Where's the soft places on the field? You know, I remember charting those up just so we would know because it would affect play calls. So you don't run into that situation with the turf. But now when you can make sure that you have things like your orbits or your fly sweeps that your receivers, your, some of your best guys – can still get their touches if you know the rain's blowing sideways on a particular night you know that now creates another dynamic of this and I believe that as you add sweeps and I've seen this time and time again those those teams who want to run those safeties down into the box you know they're not coming down as hard because they got somebody attacking in the perimeter now too so they're they're less effective on the inside runs and I think you start to stretch that defense out so uh, would love to hear your perspective on the sweep game. We mentioned it a little bit, but just different ways you like to create those. Yeah, well, first thing, I think it's important you carry both fly and orbit. From an offensive perspective, there's an inside run and an outside run attached to both, so it can seem a little redundant. But from a defensive perspective, the orbit sweep, the defensive coordinator has to defend the inside run first and then rally to the outside run. The fly sweep, he has to defend. Again, orbit for us is over the top of the quarterback. Mm -hmm. Fly is in front of the quarterback. The fly sweep, they have to defend the perimeter first and the inside run second. So you, you tend to spit more inside runs off of orbit, in my opinion. But to get the ball to the perimeter, the, you know, the key is, is for us on both that you leave the backside defensive end unblocked. So if you're orbiting or flying right to left, as you look at the defense, then the left defensive end from the offensive perspective or the right defensive end from the defensive perspective, that guy's going to be unblocked, right? Whether you're running some sort of uh, bluff zone or fake pull away from it or whatever you're doing. The key for us, what we would always do, Coach, is we would always have somebody spy that defensive end, as we talked about earlier, because we're risk-reward guys. We don't want to risk losing 10, 5, 10 yards or turning the ball over on some sort of mesh in the flag game uh, or orbit game uh, with a guy running upfield. So we always felt protected and maybe gave up a hat at the second level. But the reverses and the flies for us were answer plays off of our inside runs. So – if we were getting defensive ends up the field, we might not even have to get to those plays. But I do think if you're getting a lot of wrong arms, still spying that guy smart, and then using that blocker, usually for us it was the H on split zone, or the front side H, we would run our, our fly off the power game. We'd be tied into our quarterback power, our fly sweep power, and then we had a little power pass wheel game off of it. Um, but I do think it's important that you carry those, and I think it's important that you put an eye on the on the reverse player and then make sure that that kid understands to get everybody blocked if he is actually playing the C-gap and you're getting the ball on the edge. Yeah, I, I like in the orbit game to be able to still have some kind of a naked or, or at the very least have that quarterback running that action away just to hold that guy up, right? And, I mean, just like anytime you get into that – naked or bootleg part of a of an offense you got somebody up in the box 
watching that, or I always tell the quarterback, like, you're responsible for blocking that guy, meaning, you know, I, I want you to do things that really sell that and tear him away mm-hmm. and try to make eye contact with him. And if you're not making eye contact, get to the sideline and tell me, hey, they're not respecting the uh, the boot. Like, we should see it up in the box, too. But, you know, that that's coming from him. Was he seeing in the demeanor of that guy, the guy even putting eyes on Yeah, The other thing, too, Coach, great point, you know, running the, the tailback screen off, if you're running orbit right to left, you're faking the tail back on the inside zone, then he, you know what I'm saying? You can leak him back to the orbit side. Kind of the same concept, you know, getting the ball in that space off of orbit as well. So not everything's hitting in the middle of the line of scrimmage or, you know, to, to where the orbit sweep's taking you. Yeah, I love that. Definitely. Definitely. Now, the reverse part is something, uh, and when you said this, it, it rang a bell because back in the, 2000s, Steve Lobotsky, who's now the offensive line coach at Air Force, was, was your offensive line coach at Wake. Correct. And he was up in the area, uh, had a, a, a clinic talk he did here for the, I think it was for, if I remember right, uh, Greater Cleveland Coaches Association Clinic, and went through your entire package. And a big part of that, and you guys were running a just a ridiculous amount of reverse uh, within what you guys do. It was just built in. And I remember one of those coaching points being and something I thought about all the time then with any, any gadget really reverse trick play, et cetera, that, you know, our objective is to gain four yards. Now we want to create an explosive, but if it gains four yards, it was an efficient play and it's a positive for us. So it's, one, treating some of those plays that you don't call often, although you guys, I think, call reverse quite a bit, but treating some of those plays that you might create in that situation that it's it's uh, not necessarily an all-or-none situation, that if it moves the football and, as you said, helps you pick up first downs, right, it might not be that explosive, but it's still efficient, you know, that's a good part of your offense as well. So uh, thinking back to that, though, I do remember that you guys, the way you were doing it, I thought was a, a little bit unique because it really tied into uh, the normal flow of your offense and, and the normal actions of your offense and provided that opportunity to run the reverse quite a bit. No doubt. First thing, mad props to Lobo, my boy. He was actually the offensive coordinator at Wake Forest. I was the quarterback coach. This was his design. I thought he was bat crap crazy when he drew it up because my quarterback was going to have to be some sort of lead blocker. But my gosh, was he correct? Spot on. It's really good stuff. I didn't start coordinating until I got to West Virginia and UNC Charlotte. But in any event, the, the key to the reverse game was again not first of all, let's not lose yards, and so you've got to block the reverse player. And now it just becomes a big long counter play, and that's the way Lobo looked at it. He he taught me how to define efficient plays and. End of season cut-ups, you go through every run, and if it was four yards or more a carry, then that was an efficient run, and that's something that we were really good at. So we wanted to start with efficiency first. We didn't want to risk a whole lot to get the reward of the explosive. So some, very simple. We would get an 11 personnel at times, two tight ends, excuse me, 12 personnel, two tight ends, uh, just in regular ace formation, right, two by two, both tight ends attached. We would hand off outside zone left to right. The backside tight end would, you know, would reverse hook the defensive end to that side. 
then the court the quarterback would hand it off and then he would lead block the safety on the hash the tailback would take three steps past the mesh do 180 degrees and then reverse it back to the left i mean this thing honestly got us through the north carolina game and the maryland game in 2006 when wake forest was able to win a an ACC championship had a coach from North Carolina after our game go, could you want run one more reverse? And we chuckled because again, although it appears to be a reverse, it's just a long counter because we knew that we were going to be able to block all of, you know, everybody in the box, we were going to get four yards, but man, if that thing wasn't explosive as heck and helped us win. Yeah, now I, th- I thought a key part of it, which I saw at the time, you guys were pretty good at it, though, was was the quarterback block in that. Now, it doesn't have to be a devastating block, and I thought oh, you coached no. those guys up very well, though, in where they needed to be position-wise to make sure that ball was getting to where it needed to be because you know that, that, is, that can be a key, especially when you're running it 12 times in a game. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, again, Riley Skinner was our quarterback. He's the number one reason why we won football games at Wake Forest, period, the end. It's not genius coaching. It's just a really good quarterback. We all know that that deal. So we were not about to get him hurt. And I think it's important anytime you've got, you know, any type of perimeter run or, or perimeter screen or, you know, anywhere where people are blocking the numbers player or the hash player, I think it's very important that they understand where the we call it the sidewalk is. You can't tell where the runner is behind you. So you've got to pick an angle and you've got to shield a guy, whether it's inside out or outside in to create that sidewalk, if you can see that in your head. And then it's very important that you the, the runner, whether it's the wide out on a tunnel screen or a, a smoke screen or a bubble screen, or in this case, the running back on the perimeter run of the reverse, you don't get to cut underneath this if you want to use this guy as a blocker. So coaching the heck out of the perimeter blocking and making sure that the quarterback's a shield guy to lose underneath and that the runner has to go to the sidelines first or hash number sidelines or whatever you're creating for a sidewalk. This guy doesn't have to have a neck roll now. And clearly you never use your head or your throwing shoulder when you're a quarterback on anything you know, certainly when it comes to blocking. So, you know, I don't think, again, I'm very sensitive to getting a quarterback hurt, and I don't want to think our, you know, our listeners to to think that, you know, we're going to run the heck out of this guy just for an explosive, and we're going to lead block this guy just for an explosive. But what I can tell you is if you put him in certain situations, there's not as much risk as you think, and the reward is really good. Coach, moving on to the throw side of this, creating those explosives with the pass game. So looking at different ways to do it, really it's from if you're an RPO team, it's maybe looking at those level three RPOs. Uh, the play action certainly is an, a, an important part of it. If you're a big quick game team or bubble team, it's the and goes. So a lot of different ways to approach this. And again, it's not just that you throw these in, but that they work for you. Uh, and at the very least, it's an efficient play if you don't get the touchdown, right, that that you're able to do something with the play to keep those chains moving. Yeah, no doubt. First thing for me, the RPO, whether it's a second-level RPO, a third-level RPO, whatever you want to call it, for me, the way I look at RPO is I'm trying to run the ball, giving the quarterback an option if there's too many guys in the direction of that run. 
So I don't go into a game thinking an RPO is going to be an explosive. Clearly, there are times where it becomes an explosive, which is a nice little kicker, if as it were. But I'm of the mindset that the RPO gives you a chance to run the football first and the quarterback a really solid out if you can't because you're running power right into an unblocked, you know, Sam linebacker. So in any event, the RPO game can create those. But for me, I was more into throwing off of play action. So if I'm running split zone, I'm running a split zone post off of it as well, right? I, the, the defense is, is recognition and reaction, pre-snap recognition, right? The O-line splits, are they up, are they down? The, the, where the H-back is, the tailback, is the slot on or off? Are they bunched, are they wide? We're first going to recognize. And then I think what gets lost, a lot of times as play callers is the post-snap reaction, right? There are eight gaps. There are five underneath zones and four deep zones where 11 human beings have to defend. So there are a lot of people in conflict post-snap. And so I think it's important that if you're going to throw an action post-snap, first of all, pre-snap, they have to look exactly like the run, but post-snap, they have to look for the first three steps exactly like the run. And one of the things we would do when we were coaching is we would actually, in the quarterback tailback mesh periods, we would not only work the handoff, the inside zone, we would work the, the mesh of inside zone seven-man gap protection. So they look exactly alike. I think it's very important. And if you tie those things together, then you're going to easily create a one-man route, you know, explosive play. If pre and post snap your offensive set, and then your, you know, O-line, low hat, and tailback mesh, everything looks the same to those fit players and those linebackers and, and, and everybody on defense that could be in conflict. So, you know, for us, it was a seven-man gap, you know, inside zone action. We would also, you know, like I said, run the, the wheel off the power pass, off the fly sweep, you know, always trying to create big plays, explosive plays, off of action, but again, I think it's crucial that pre and post snap those things look alike and they're tied together so that they do work. Yeah, I heard something great with Coach Wiley last week, and we were talking about the run action passes, is what he called them. Yeah. And, and the idea that, and I've never heard it talked about this way, that not only they look like the run, but they sound like the run. And, yeah. and I think. What really became a key for us, I started studying it. I want to say I saw an article like on Football Scoop, like that, that was it was about Stanford, I believe, and it was always pull a guard on play action, right? And so I started studying that, and we went to a system of play action where we call the run and then tagged the pass with it. And so it could be tagged, and we had a you know, we had a, a, a word. Uh, it was simply naked and we had some naked variations like naked flood, naked wheel, like things that tied into some other concepts as well. And just, just our standard naked. Um, but then we would also tag in things like power. And I can't, I think it was uh action was the word we used when we were going to drop back off it. So it was power action curl as an example. Right. So right. Um, just different ways we would stress the defense, but the coaching point for us to the line was, we do not want you to worry about not going downfield. For us, the timing of what the quarterback would do 
and get the ball out a lot of times helped us avoid that. But in, in blocking it that way, there was only twice over the, the course of three seasons where we were actually called for an illegal man downfield. And both of them were because the guy on the block or two guys on a combo just drove their guy too far downfield. It wasn't that they were downfield running looking for somebody to block. It was that they took their guys off a of level one too far. And we, we said, we'll live with that because what we really wanted was the sell of the run. And as Coach Wiley said, it, it looks like and it sounds like run. And so we had up to that point, you know, play action protections and naked protections. And we just scratched it all because that's how we ended up creating explosive plays. And uh, I mean, I have, I'll share the, the YouTube playlist. I believe I have it on YouTube with um, some of these where you're watching the fit of linebackers and even safeties and you're like holy cow are these guys wide open well that was a big part of it right selling really selling the run so I do believe that offensive line is a big part of creating explosives in the pass game especially off play action run action is the appropriate terminology and um, I don't use it enough Coach Wiley's spot on, and Coach, you hit it right on the head. However your verbiage is to, to make sure your offensive line understands that low hat and, and run game is crucial in this moment, that, that's everything. And then, again, I can't emphasize more just tying things together. Like, your inside cut zone is a six-on-six six out of 11 personnel football play. And if you're getting six on six and you're getting a cover two shell or you're getting quarter safeties that are you fitting late and it's not working, then you got issues in your six on six, right? But if, if you're running that football play and the extra hat is making the tackle, then you have to have an answer to that. And that answer is that play action, forgive me again, run action, single post to the boundary X or sniper route, the, the corner post to the slot somebody that can beat that hat that is in conflict of fitting that run gap. And, in, and again, it's only going to work if you run, like the, the play action pass only works if the run's being called, the run only works if the play action pass is being called. And as coach Wiley said in the run action game, and you, you reiterated that they've got to be as, as post snap tied together with look and feel as possible. When we went to looking at things that way, really helped our game plan as well and how we were going to package things together. So if we're using a certain run, then we're looking at what's the action or the naked off of that, that run. And that was always just part of the game plan, right? That's what drove it. So we were creating those lookalike plays, right? And, and that's what makes it tough on a defense, whether that's, you know, your, your run that turns into the reverse or your run that turns into the pass. I think those really now, uh, when you're giving the defense – what looks like at the snap, you know, right after the snap of the ball, something is the same over the course of several plays, it becomes tough for them to defend, and it slows down their fit, right? Because if they don't, that's when you're creating explosives. Coach, you just defined the big O system. We carry four core identity runs. And the first thing we do every weekend is find the best way to run those runs. Ken, what personnel is it? What formation is it? What direction is it? Where are we going to put the tailback this week on it? We tinker with everything on those four core runs. 
And then as soon as we get that done, and that might take a day, we blindly put in the pop pass off it, the boot off of it, and the home run off of it. Some of them we put in a read play off of it or a bounce play off of it, you know, power and power bounce, counter, counter bounce, just blindly, right? Don't even, nope, don't, we're, we're going to, we got to have answers, right? If they line up in their base defense, these four core runs should work, five on five, six on six, seven on seven. If the extra player comes down, we've got an RPO behind it to give the quarterback an out. But then off of that, how are we going to help that play work throughout the course of the game is with the exact same post, snap, boot, uh, run action, pop pass, reverse, bounce play. I think that's crucial in your game plan development. Definitely. In, in looking at all of this then and how it comes together, a big part of this is going to be what you call play calling anticipation, right? So when you're thinking about big plays you know you have to sometimes set them up now I'll, I'll preface that by saying sometimes the, the plays have been set up by your previous game film right so so you can call them earlier than maybe uh, you would if this was you know game one and nobody saw anything but uh, but I also believe it's uh, someone I think it was is Dub Maddox who's been on this this several times as the offensive coordinator now at Union High School in Oklahoma talked about these explosive plays or these shots that you're going to take, whether that's, you know, planned shots like this or even trick plays being like jabs in a boxing match, right? That you're not going to throw that left hook right away, that you're going to set it up, that you're going to jab, you're going to jab. And then at the appropriate time, you're throwing that left hooks, you know, going for the knockout punch there. It's not coming out of it in openers and all of a sudden, well, here's our shot, right? So some of it is, as you call it, play calling anticipation. Yeah, so, you know, if you've called a game before, there's a rhythm to it. You're constantly thinking about, okay, let's get the ball on the left hash on third down because i got to move the pocket for my right-handed quarterback because we can't block. I mean, there's so many levels to what you're thinking about after you call a play. And a big part of when I got better at calling plays came off of just anticipating what coverage in front they were going to be in, you know, by personnel, by down, by distance, by field zone, those type of things. And even on first and 10 and base defense, you know, if you knew you were getting quarters, if you called vertical switch, you got a high probability of anticipating a wide open post throw, or at least a one-on-one post throw. And then if you bunch it at even better, one-on-one post throw right because you're just anticipating quarters so let's put a quarters beater out there if it's third and eight and you know you're going to get cover two to ten personnel just run smash to the boundary and the a smash look to the field but have the slot run what we call a sniper a corner post and i can't tell you how many times in 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 my career where i anticipated just a simple cover two and we've got a shot touchdown because we, we knew that the slot could beat the Tampa Mike because he was faster than him and he was going to get the half field safety to flip because we'd run smash before. But even if he hadn't, just from a cover two standpoint, you knew that that was going to be tough on that half field safety. So I think, you know, play call anticipation on, on base downs and on third downs, I think is important. If you know you're getting man to man, I see on Twitter all the time, though, you know, the mesh rail is getting tweeted for touchdowns in the red zone every single time it's first man coverage. And a lot of times versus blitz man coverage. So there's no rat below 
to, to blow up the, the crossers. You got a, a, a linebacker that's got to peel with the wheel. So those are just great examples of play call anticipation where the coordinator went, okay, based on my film breakdown, as I go into this call, I'll bet you a hundred bucks that they're going to be in a, a six man pressure cover zero, or they're going to be in a five man pressure cover one, or we're just going to get the regular four man with the low rat and the high rat cover one, but we're going to get some sort of man coverage in this moment. So let me get six protectors in here or let me run the tailback hot and just flip it to them. And so those are the types of things that I think are very, very important in terms of this conversation of explosive plays. If you anticipate in this moment, that will give them something that'll really beat it. And I think, uh, I think you'll add to your explosives total. You mentioned, you know, the, that this is what really defines the big O offense in looking at calling the game and especially early in the game, how much of, of your openers are really being called to get confirmation and then see where are the opportunities with some of the things that you have planned? How many times have you seen a game where the team comes out and goes right down the field on their first drive and scores and can't score a point the rest of the game? Um, in my opinion, it is not difficult to strip if you if your tape studies on point and your matchups are good, you know, you're just not going to get killed by the opponent because they're better than you. It's easier to script a you know twelve plays that are all shifts and formations and motions and FIBs and unbalanced and all those kind of things and, and put one in the end zone. And the problem is the next you know sixty plays you got to call. Right. So for us, what we would do, all I want to do was, was defensive confirmation and find the triangle. Learn that from, you know, really Paul Johnson cut my teeth with he and Mike Seawalk at the University of Hawaii in 1991 as a GA. And then when Jim Grobe hired us at Ohio U, Mike Seawalk was the offensive coordinator. Then Troy Calhoun became the offensive coordinator, the current head coach at Air Force. And these guys were all about numbers, angles, graphs. Let's get in a couple sets. Let's find a sweet spot and just call that play over and over and over again. Well, I think you can do that in a traditional set as well by locating that triangle and just running away from it as much as you can until they put someone in that spot and throw the RPO behind it. So for us in our system, we would script 15 plays. The first, we'd script 12 normal down and distance, which is first and 10 or second and six and less. You know, that's, that's what we call just normal D&D, &D, and you're going to be in that, you know, those two situations 70% of the game. And then we scripted our first third short, our first third medium, and our first third and long call. And, again, those were, you know, based on, you know, what we saw on those tapes, those cut-up tapes, and whether it was a six-man protection or a man-beater necessary or whatever it was. But those first 12 plays, Coach, were all in our base sets, all our core runs and actions screens, you know, just moving the ball right to left, run pass, getting it into our playmakers' hands, making sure that our top three players got, you know, the first three, you know, 12 touches of the game. And then, you know, just trying to identify that defense and make sure what we thought we saw on film was what we're getting. And then it really shaped the rest of the week, you know, the way we call the game. I think really helped us score points, you know, in the second, third, and fourth quarters. Well, Coach, a lot here that you shared for – Offensive coordinator, doesn't matter what system you're in, I think there's a lot of great tips 
from this podcast and certainly appreciate the time that you took to put your notes together and some ideas here. I certainly had some takeaways from this and a lot of notes I took. So again, thank you for taking the time again here on the podcast. And as always, I'm sure we'll have you back again in the future. KG, you're my man. I, again, appreciate the opportunity and uh, just love talking ball and giving back. So here anytime, my friend. Be sure to go to CoachTube and check out Coach Mullen's Big O system. You can find that at CoachTube.com slash Jeff Mullen. I'll put that link in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Coaching Coordinator podcast. Check out CoachingCoordinator.com for detailed show notes and extra content from the shows. And follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.